So, remembrance. Two questions. How should we remember? And how should we wish to be remembered? A reading from 2 Chronicles, chapter 32. After the, just to put this in context, after the golden age of King David, time of great blessing and prosperity and closeness to God, there were a succession of kings, pretty much each of them worse than the one before. They were bad kings, with the odd exception, and Hezekiah was one of those. In fact, just before chapter 32 starts, we read, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. As a result, he was very successful. And now chapter 32. After Hezekiah had faithfully carried out this work, King Sennacherib of Assyria invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified towns, giving orders for his army to break through their walls. When Hezekiah realised that Sennacherib was intended to attack Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military advisers, and they decided to stop the flow of the springs outside the city. They organised a huge work crew to stop the flow of the springs, cutting off the brook that ran through the fields. For they said, why should the kings of Assyria come here and find plenty of water? Then Hezekiah worked hard at repairing all the broken sections of the wall outside the first. Out, sorry, outside the first. He also reinforced the supporting terraces in the city of David and manufactured large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate. Then Hezekiah encouraged them by saying, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army. For there is a power far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. Hezekiah's words greatly encouraged the people. And then jumping down to verse 29, just to explain a little bit about that stuff about the springs, we read, He built many towns and acquired vast flocks and herds, for God had given him great wealth. He blocked up the upper spring of Gihon and brought the water down through a tunnel to the west side of the city of David, Jerusalem. And so he succeeded in everything that he did. How should we remember? We should remember. God's word tells us over 250 times, remember. Psalm 103, my morning prayer as I run out with the dog, Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's saying, count your blessings, keep up front how blessed you are. 
Sure, that sounds great. But we know right now that many people are struggling under the weight of huge rise in energy costs, food prices and interest rates. There's no shortage of anxiety feeders. And for the person here today for whom this is a reality, it's really tough, I'm with you. I've been there. I had a two-year-old and a newborn. Inflation was 25%. Our mortgage went from a staff rate of 2.5% to 15% when, in obedience to God's call, I gave up my Citibank job and became a student for four years to become a teacher. And then, for the next 20 years, raised a family of four and a bit of fostering along the way on a teacher's salary. So, if it's tough... I just want to say, I've been there, I'm with you. I know what it is to have cause for anxiety. But that doesn't mean that you have to suffer anxiety. The people with Hezekiah had much cause for anxiety. They're under siege, their lives are in danger. What did he tell them? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because, well, of the vast things that stand against you. There is a power far greater on our side. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. And the effect of his words? His words greatly encouraged the people. If I haven't reminded you lately, I'll remind you again today. Words have power. Words have power. Um, back then when I was facing the challenge of, so Lord, how's this going to work? It was like the disciples said to Jesus, if we follow you, where will we sleep? And what will we eat? And what will we wear? And Jesus gave them what we now have as Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, in addition to knowing you're in the centre of God's will, all these other things will be yours as well. Words have power. Do you know the Bible has an antidote to anxiety? We could start with 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It reminds me of it of Moses when God said, what do you got? What are you holding? A stick. And God said, what did he tell him? Put it down. What are you holding? Put it down. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. The prescription that I was given when I was just 18, in a really rotten moment in my life, I was given a prescription, just like the doctor, and it was Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And I was so impressed by it, I decided to memorise it. So at the age of 18, I memorised, have no anxiety about anything. This is the prescription. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So the prescription is, don't be anxious. Instead, do this. Tell God, come with your requests, with thanksgiving. Result? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds at rest. A 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. I threw in the at rest bit. Okay, there's the prescription. You don't have to suffer anxiety. God's word has power. You know, if you wake up at night worrying, what was the last thing you did before you went to sleep? Did you read Psalm 34 or Psalm 91? Those would be great words to get into your mind and heart last thing, to give you a peaceful mind and a great night's sleep. Repeatedly, we are told, come with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's not saying give thanks for all circumstances, but in whatever your circumstances are, however rough it might seem at the moment, still give thanks, God's word is telling us. However dismal or disturbing things may appear, we can still be thankful. We can still have an attitude of gratitude. We have so much cause to be thankful especially here in the UK. Yesterday afternoon with one or two others under Sarah's leadership, we were out in Sutton High Street and I was in Manor Park just to chat to anyone who would listen to me talk about the love of Jesus. I talked to a chap from Brazil. I said, why are you here? I talked to another chap from Iran. From Iran. He's fleeing from the Mesh Perga. Uh, he's here. And I said, so how do you feel about being in the UK? He said, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm safe. And today, we give thanks for those who were willing to put themselves in the way of harm so that we now enjoy liberty. Though in truth, many of us really, we're so acclimatised to this, we know nothing else but liberty and safety our whole lives. It's easy to be unaware and unappreciative of just how blessed and how fortunate and privileged we are. As Kipling, who had travelled widely, wrote, what do they know of England who only England know? The mention of Russia, China, Hong Kong, Iran remind us there are swathes of the world map which are occupied by regimes which violently constrain what we own as basic human rights. It's easy to understand why many people, particularly during COVID and lockdown, stopped looking at the news for the sake of their own mental health. You know, because of the way that news publishing works, news is skewed to be bad news. Do you know that? I experienced that a number of times. One occasion I was involved in a project, we were, with government funding, giving the least disadvantaged 10% of children across the whole of Greater London, a laptop and internet access. We thought, this is a good news story, we'll issue a, a press release. Do you know what the press wrote? 90% of children denied access. You couldn't make it up, that's what they did. You know, in uh, just 2016, a YouGov poll of 17 countries asked about the state of the world. 58% of respondents said, it's getting worse. 11% only said it's getting better. And in the United States, it was 65% it's getting worse and only 6% better. Now, 
I do recognise that for some of us, things may be very tough indeed. But actually, in the big picture, there are many ways in which things are actually getting better over time. The year I was born, 30 babies out of a thousand didn't make it to their first birthday. Today, that's only three. The average life expectancy then was 65. It's now 89. Cancer survival rates have doubled in the last 40 years. Death from disease has halved, from heart disease has halved in 20 years. Emissions from greenhouse gas in the UK have halved since 1990. More of the country is covered by woodlands now than in the Middle Ages. For every school leaver who went to university when I left school, there are now 10. God's word repeatedly encourages us to remember and to give thanks. And the reality is we have much to remember and to be thankful for. And being thankful, having an attitude of gratitude, do you know, it's good for us. Overwhelmingly, research shows that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with well-being and happiness. Gratitude encourages positive emotions and relishing good experiences. It improves our health. It helps us build stronger relationships and cope with adversity. Think about it. If your norm is grumbling rather than gratitude, that's not going to help you feel good or build good relationships. As we remember and give thanks today for the legacy of the men and the women whose courage and sacrifice preserved our liberty, it should prompt us to think, how will we, how will I be remembered? What will be my legacy? How would we wish to be remembered? Hezekiah left a legacy which remains to this day. He did a huge, he undertook a huge engineering task that was rediscovered in 1838. The springs outside Jerusalem, he dug down, dug a huge tunnel. It's 533 metres long. I walked through it in 1995 and it feeds, it created what we called today and was called by Jesus the pool of Siloam he talked about it in John chapter 4 and he built this tunnel and thereby created that pool in the middle on the west side actually of Jerusalem this is his legacy 2800 years later is this something we should concern ourselves with our legacy our impact on the world, what will we leave behind to look back on for eternity? We will all leave a legacy. The impact that we've had on the world, how will the world and those who follow be affected by our time when we reach the end? 
keeping the end in mind is one of the seven habits of highly effective people. The author Stephen Covey suggests we should imagine our own funeral and the eulogy speeches that will be made by representatives of our family, our friends, our work and our church. What would we want them to say? What kind of husband, father, wife or mother would we like their words to reflect? What kind of friend or colleague? What character would we like them to have seen in us? What achievements would we like them to remember? His point is, that, is this, that by keeping the end in mind, we are more likely to be guided by what we really consider to be of greatest importance in our lives. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in what we might call the activity trap. Yeah, we work harder and harder, climbing the ladder of success, only to discover that when we get to the top, it's leaning against the wrong wall. In the words of the actor Jim Carrey, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see. It's not the answer. It's easy to be seduced into being driven, really busy, but miss the goal that has ultimate significance for us and fail to have the impact and the influence that we'd like to. Why would that happen? Because we've never really clarified what is the purpose of our life. Outwitting the Devil is a fascinating book in which Napoleon Hill records a series of discussions with the devil. If you've read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, this is Screwtape on steroids. <laughs> in answer to Hill's questions, the devil reveals, among other things, that he is completely confident in his possession of 98% of humanity. But he's really disturbed by the other 2%. The explanation, the distinction, well, he says, well, 98%, they're just drifting. The 2% have a clear life purpose. With the four men who were baptised here at Easter, we've been reading week by week and sharing our thoughts, chapter by chapter, on Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. Subtitled, What on Earth Am I Here For? And we've just finished. And at the end of the book, we've been challenged to write, to clarify and share a statement of our life purpose. It's been a powerful experience, not least because it clarifies that our life, my life, your life should have impact. It should have influence. One day, the most influential person who has ever lived gave his thoughts on the subject of influence. And he was very clear. He said, in effect, 
maximize your influence. Maximize your influence. He spoke of being you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city upon a hill should not be hid. And unpacking those is another sermon that actually I think I gave a couple of years ago. But you understand what I'm saying and what Jesus is saying. It's very clear. His counsel to us is maximize your influence. Jesus, our captain, is saying, by the standards you live by, the decisions that you make, the things that you say and do, maximize your influence. Maximize your influence for good, for the increase of my kingdom. Every day, our lives touch the lives of others in obvious and non-obvious ways. People don't even have to know us personally to experience the blessing of our influence. Perhaps you've thought that your legacy is something that won't be determined for years to come. Your legacy, it's already a work in progress. My mother passed away over 25 years ago. I don't recall her faults. What I remember was her love, her affirmation, her words, which left in me a legacy of a healthy self-esteem and natural confidence, which was foundational in the years that followed, the person that I became. Now we can think today about the legacy of our influence on the people with whom we have day-to-day -day contact. Our primary legacy may well be the people whose lives we have influenced, whose character we have helped shape. For some of us, our greatest legacy may be, and will be, our children. And if we want to raise affirmed, happy, self-disciplined children, we have to keep that end, that vision, in mind as we interact with our children on a daily basis. It won't help them if we behave or speak in ways that undermine their self-esteem or their self-discipline. It will help them if we intentionally build patterns of behaviour that build character. Richard Branson, when asked about his legacy, said with a chuckle, don't judge me by anything that I did at Virgin, judge me by my children. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way that he should go, or she should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. Um, based on the collective ages of my children and my two bonus children, uh, stepchildren, I, I, I have over 200 years of parenting experience um, and 120 years of grandparenting experience, if you add them up too. So I'm reasonably confident in saying with authority that those tricky years in the teens, half of the challenges that you would face in those years are met by what you do, what you invest 
in time and relationship building and character forming in the first 10 or 12 years. And when they get to 12 or 13 and they seem to disappear behind the moon and go out of radio contact, <laughs> don't worry too much because they will come out the other side and beep, 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 there will be a, a signal again. As, as um, Mark Twain uh, said, um, I, I can't, when he was 16, he said, when I was 16, I couldn't believe how stupid my father was. When I was 21, I couldn't understand how he'd learned so much in five years. <laughs> Excuse me. A bit of lubrication. Will your legacy, will our legacy, your legacy, be something of eternal worth? What's eternal? People. What was the legacy that Jesus invested in? People. We are all called to be influencers, to tell our story, to bear witness to our faith, to make disciples, to be powerful influencers. There are biological children and there are spiritual children. Paul addressed Timothy as my own true son in the faith. You can be a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, to one or to many. Who are the people you are influencing? Who are the people you could be intentionally influencing? Who are your influees? Who are you praying for? Who are you investing in? Which colleague? Which family member? Which neighbour? You don't need a PhD in theology to encourage another person, to encourage another Christian, to help them to grow. You don't need your collar in reverse to introduce someone to Jesus. You just have to be willing, willing to follow and obey him. He said it, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Perhaps the worship team would like to come forward. What will you be remembered for? What will be your legacy? Where's your tunnel? Where's your tunnel? One day, it won't be the people at your funeral. It will be God who reviews your answers to life's most important questions. What are they? Life's most important questions. Did you put Jesus at the centre of your life? Did you become more like him? Did you serve others? Did you pass on his message? Did you advance his mission? What is your life purpose? Do you know? Or at the moment, to be honest, are you drifting? If it's less than crystal clear, 
It wouldn't be a bad thing. Chris is doing a wonderful job on the slides. If for you, your life purpose is less than crystal clear, it wouldn't be a bad thing to get yourself a copy of Purpose Driven Life. Seriously, and work through it. It's designed to be completed in 40 days. It's 40 very short chapters, a day, a chapter, a day, for 40 days. Do you know, you could finish it before the end of the year. Work through it, put it down in writing, as we have your own life purpose. Finish it by the end of the year. You'll be ready for a new year at the beginning of 2023. That's your application from today. Fear not, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, tell God about it, with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, you know, I should be anxious, but I'm not, I don't understand it, <laughs> will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.